Hey, good morning, fellowship. Hey, would you stand with us this morning? We're going to uh, worship straight away together. So um, let's lift our voices. Kings and kingdoms will bow down Every chain will break His broken hearts declare His praise Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah He's roaring with power and fighting our battles and every knee will bow before him our god is the lamb the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb and every knee will bow before him Stop the Lord. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Say, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can?
seated. Take a seat. And welcome. Welcome to Fellowship Bentonville. And if you are here visiting or if you're here for the, for the first, second, third time and you'd like to know more about Fellowship Bentonville, we've got some great people at the community booth just right across the foyer. And seriously, they are some of the nicest people in the world. Trust me on that. Um, but again, welcome here. Uh, my name is Marsha and I'm on the worship team here. I uh, get to work with these amazing folks behind me in the production booth and the ushers and the baptism people and the prayer team and the community union team and just just an amazing group of people that um, that I'm blessed to work with and in August August 24th at 6 30 p.m. in the foyer here we want to invite everybody that's involved in that way in worship services elementary um, students and adults if you are interested in it and have, haven't been involved in worship we'd like to invite you to connect to and my email is up on the screen ma phillips at fellowshipnwa.org, and I'd love to connect with you. This also is an invitation for our visual arts, our creative folks, our photographers, our painters, our spectra artists. Um, and so we would love to connect with you on August the 24th. Uh, if you haven't received information about that already, please email me, and I will make sure that you get that information and get on that list for more information. Because we want to have a time of vision casting and connection. And you probably hear that a lot if you've been here for a while um, or if you've been here a short while. You'll hear more about connection in community in the next few weeks as we gear up for community groups because we believe that life change happens in the context of community. And it's been interesting going through the spiritual rhythms here because a lot of times I thought about spiritual rhythms as, you know, that's, that's a transformation with me and my quiet time with the Lord. Um, but it's been interesting because we've had three people, two people share so far about their experiences with the rhythms, and they've both been in the context of community. We had Noah Hernbeck that talked about fasting with his community group. Uh, we had Beth Stottle sharing uh, the Discovery Bible method, and that's in the context of community. And today, I'd like to ask Eric uh, if he would come up and share with us um, your spiritual rhythm of confession. I know that's been one that, uh, that's been especially meaningful for you. Yes, thanks, Marcia. So, hey, fellowship. Hello. I'm going to uh, introduce myself uh, like I do at Celebrate Recovery. I am a training coach at the Rogers Fellowship Celebrate Recovery, and this is how I introduce myself. I am a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. I struggle with lust, pornography, the painful hurt of divorce, and food issues, and my name is Eric. Hi, Thank you for greeting me. I appreciate that. So guys, uh, let me tell you a little bit of my story and what led me to this. So back in February 24th, of 2010, I was sitting in my man cave down in the basement, and I was watching TV, and my phone started buzzing. I looked down at my phone, and it was my ex-wife, and she says, your daughter is missing. Now, if you've ever gotten a text like that, that will stop everything. And I said, oh my goodness, what's going on? She said, and she never came home from school. So I started texting and trying to call my daughter. She finally answered, and I went and picked her up, and she, st she started confessing just a little bit of what was going on in her life. Not everything, but just a little bit 
of what was going on in her life. Long story short, she moved into the house with me. I got her into a program called Celebrate Recovery and the youth program there. It's called The Landing now, but back then it was called something different, but I got her into that. And as she started working that process and found a safe place to confess her hurts, her habits, her hangups, I started seeing change in her life. I started seeing healing in her life. And I wanted that healing. You see, I was divorced. And I was a porn addict. My current wife knew that I was a porn addict, but she didn't know that I had recently relapsed. And so I started going to celebrate recovery. And I went to a thing they called Open Share, and I joined a step study group. And those men in that group started sharing their hurts, their habits, their hangups, their sins. They were confessing those to the group. And to me, I had never seen that before. And a lot of those men had sobriety, not just for a day, a week, or a month, but for years. I wanted that kind of sobriety. So I started working that process in my life. I started confessing my hurts, habits, and hangups, and my sins in front of those groups. And I will tell you, God did a miracle in my life. I've now done seven step studies. I've been a part of that Celebrate Recovery for 13 years, and I am 13 years sober from pornography today. I didn't think that that was possible, but it is possible. We have a saying at Celebrate Recovery. We say that I am only as sick as my secrets. You see, I thought I was keeping my secrets but it was my secrets that were keeping me. They were keeping me from closeness with my wife, my family, and they were keeping me from intimacy with God. As I started practicing this healthy rhythm of confession, I received healing. Uh, what a beautiful story. I know um, Celebrate Recovery has been on the Rogers campus now um, many years, but I remember when at first uh, God planted that seed to build that Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry there, and I know you guys that are around there know that it was there was something that was very tangible uh, and something very spiritual and deep that was happening in all of the congregations as a result of that, as a result of that beautiful transparency in the context of community to come alongside you and help you walk that path. So for somebody that might, uh, that might want to bring that rhythm of confession into their practice, how would you, how would you guide us in that? Yeah, so James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So at Celebrate Recovery, we work the 12 recovery steps, the biblical 12 recovery steps, and we also uh, subscribe to eight principles. And principle four says, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. So a lot of times at church, we don't remember what was said or what was, uh, you know, what the, the message was. But I want you to remember this phrase. That I want you to remember this. Concealment always costs more than confession. Concealment always costs more than confession. So I don't know where you are today, but I can tell you that we are only as sick 
as our secrets. So I would encourage you, if you've got some secrets that are eating you alive, find a safe place to confess those, whether it's Celebrate Recovery or it's a confidant, a person in your life where you feel safe to share those things because God can heal you just as he healed me. Let's pray. Dear God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for another Sunday, a Sunday where we can worship you and praise you and that we can come before you totally open. I pray, God, that you will help us to be open with our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. Help us, God, if we need to confess to others so that we may be healed, that you give us the courage to do so. We love you, God. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we want to continue with that spirit of confession in this next song. So let's take the next few moments just to prayerfully um, surrender before the Lord and confess our deep dependence and our need for Him. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling.
Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would he fail now? He won't Amen. Mm-hmm. 
He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't. He won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. You know, in Revelation, in chapter 4, we read about the four living creatures. They're saying this, they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we just sing about just sung about Christ being our firm foundation. He was our firm foundation. He is our firm foundation and he will be our firm foundation. We can put our trust in him. Later in that same chapter, the elders cast their crowns before the throne, laying down everything they have before their Lord and Savior, before our King of Kings. So this morning, fellowship, what will you cast before the throne of your King of Kings? Just take a moment to meditate on that. And now, just as the elders declared when they fell down and worshipped him, Let's declare this passage together. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created.
habits, the hang-ups. We bring ourselves before the real God who's strong and good, slow to anger and full, abounding in loving kindness. We confess this morning not just our sin, but we confess the truth that we have a Savior. Lord, this morning we woke up as a people needing a Savior and needing a leader for our lives. And in you, Lord Jesus, we have what we need, a saving leader, a shepherd who loves. We've been well-led, well-fed, even already this morning as we've gathered, well-led and fed. But because you are a well who is filled with a, a bottomless blessing, we're going to ask you to lead us and feed us more. So as we open your word, we're asking, would you, feed our hearts and our minds and our lives with truth that we need to live before you and follow you well. We, your people, stand before you, expectant, hopeful, happy in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to see you this morning, and we have been well-led and well-fed already. Thank you so much, team. I don't remember how many years ago it was. Uh, I just remember um, pulling into the driveway, and I happened to have stumbled on uh, Science Friday on NPR, and it was one of those uh, radio programs that caught me enough to hold me and allow me to sit in the car for a little longer just to hear the end of the episode. Uh, it was an interview with Dr. Lori Santos. Uh, Dr. Santos is a, a, a psychology professor at Yale University, and she teaches the most popular college course, not just at Yale University, the most popular college course in all universities of all time. And she was being interviewed uh, during that time on Science Friday, and the, the class is called Psychology 157, the Science of Well-Being, but every student at Yale doesn't call it that. They call it the happiness class, because Dr. Santos' class talks about what it means to live well from the inside out. In fact, you have to sign up early to get in. Students... Uh, uh, set their alarms for the middle of the night when the website goes live. One quarter of all Yale University signs up for the class every single time it's offered. They finally kicked it out online, and within a few months, they had 130,000 people taking the course remotely. That was a few years ago. 
To date, there are four and a half million students. And Dr. Santos, in her interview, was saying that they began to notice that 50% of the students coming into to Yale University were, were struggling with this overwhelming anxiety that was tied to their schedule. In fact, it said she said 30% of Yale University students were struggling with debilitating depression. And as researchers, she said, they began to find that issues of relationship and time or time management were huge factors in well-being. In other words, she said it, it's kind of simple. It goes down to this. Pace changes everything. And she said that as social scientists, they talk about time in terms of two categories. On one hand, they talk about time affluence. And on the other hand, they talk about time famine. Nobody but social scientists talks about time that way because the rest of the human race talks about rest and busyness. And in their research, they said they found that even those who were struggling with what she called time famine, you and I would call it being, quote, stressed out, she said it came down to three things that caused people to live well. Ready for the three things? Lots of research went into this. More sleep, one day off a week, and using that day to reflect with gratitude. My, my, that's the kind of wisdom our grandparents gave us, huh? And church, don't you feel good about the fact that we this summer have been on the cutting edge of social science? Because as we've been talking about the spiritual rhythms, we're simply talking about new habits. In fact, that's all Dr. Santos said. We couldn't give people more time. We could teach them to create new habits in the middle of a busy life. And we've been doing that as we've talked about the rhythms of the spiritual life Spiritual habits that God uses to make us more like Jesus. And this morning, we talk about the rhythm of Sabbath. I don't remember exactly how long ago it was. I just remember that our older four kids were young, and now they are well into their adulthood. So this was probably 25 years ago. I remember on a Sunday afternoon, pulling into that our garage and that dumpy minivan we used to drive, the one with way too much old food smashed in the corner of seats. And I remember pulling in on that Sunday afternoon and saying to the crowd of four children in the back, hey kids, hurry up and let's get out of the van because we need to, and I don't even remember what we needed to do. I just remember it caught me as odd. How many times have I said that? They've only been alive some of them up to 10 years, others, others only up to four years. I probably said that millions of times to them. Hurry up out of the van so that we can. And then I thought, why must they hurry up? Because if I observed my children, they seem to only have one natural talent, and that's dawdling. It's the only thing they're good at. Why can't they be good at that for a season in life? And maybe it had to do with what Dr. Santos calls time famine, what you and I call busyness. It's interesting. In our world, have you noticed our small talk? We're good at small talk. Hopefully, we're good at small talk when we meet each other. Nobody wants us to dive into the deep end of the pool right after hello. I think I might have lost battery. Oh, there we go. The answer we used to say was fine, right? We don't say fine anymore. We say, hey, how are you? And the answer is busy. And then we turn around and one up. Oh, us too. 
busy. And then we just kind of do the whole status symbol of the suburban life, talking about how successful we are, measured by not what we drive or what we own, but how busy we are. Why do we say it? Because it's true. Because it's true. Lisa and I have had busy jobs and and a large family, and we have been fighting the busyness monster our whole lives. We cannot remember a season of our lives where we've not been in that fight, and we're committed to the fight. But to be honest, it does me no good to have a conversation uh, that describes the fact that we are too busy. In fact, I don't even have an appetite to go to church anymore and hear a pastor say, aren't we all too busy and we shouldn't be so busy? I've been hearing those sermons for well over three decades and I'm tired of it because all it is is stating the obvious and that's not so helpful. So I wanna go beyond that and ask a question. How in the busy schedules of our lives do we find a rhythm that God himself will use to make us more like Jesus in the middle of that busyness? Because that is the kind of question that would capture my attention, that moved me to well-being. And the answer to that is one unique way that God gives us to deal with the stress of everyday life. And it's such a simple way, but oh, please do not hear simple meaning easy. And it is Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is simply a Hebrew word, Shabbat, that means rest or cease. In, In common English, it's this. Every time you hear the word Sabbath, think Stop, because that's what the word literally means. Think of a stop sign in your mind. And that practice goes all the way back to the dawn of time when the human race entered the rat race. You pick it up in Genesis chapter two in the created story. We see Genesis 2, 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested, Shabbat, stopped from all his work. And then the Lord, or then God, blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Holy means separate, other, completely set apart. So he made it separate because on it, he Sabbathed from all the work of creating that he had done. It's interesting to me that the creation story is a seven-day story, right? When you read Genesis 1 and 2, It's a seven-day story, and yet creating was done in six days. Now, the efficiency expert in me, who quite honestly hates waste, I don't like it in my work world, I don't like it at home, it seems to me like God has too many days in the week, that we could have just cut out that seventh day and told our creation story. Because it's not like God needed rest He did the work and he builds in a day of rest, not because he was tired. In fact, God here says that the seventh day was not a day off for him. Have you ever thought about that? God never uses the the phrase, I need a day off. But he does build in a day of reflection, a day of rest, a day where he enjoys the creative work that he has done. In fact, here we don't even see the seventh day is a day off. It's a very full day of blessing and setting it apart. That seventh day is other than the other days. It's a full day of joyful rest. Why? Because God is not a machine who only exists to produce. 
God is a lover and a worker, both and. And he purposely stopped to enjoy his creative work. And we who are made in his image are both lovers and workers, and we exist to enjoy his creative work as well. I mean, I want you to think of just this creation story. Adam and Eve, so humankind, were made on day six, right, day six in the story. So they're created and literally their eyes are open sometime during day six. Let's pick two o'clock in the afternoon. They're open. They hear the creative mandate You're going to rule over all creation, have dominion over the earth. You're going to cultivate this garden. It's going to yield some fruit. In other words, you're going to be busy. And then they close their eyes for the first time that night after hearing their marching orders, and they wake up on day seven, and what do they do? They rest. Oh, my. Don't you see the rhythm of life that God is building into the human race? Yes, we have a creative mandate to work, but we work out of our rest. We don't just rest from our work. Day seven, first full day for Adam and Eve was the day of resting in God's completed work. And then on day one, when they start the first day of the week, they get after God's creative mandate of work. They are working out of their rest, not just resting out of their work, No surprise, Jesus tells us the same thing about our spiritual lives. In John 15, he says, I want you to abide in me. Literally means I want you to rest in me. And then you will bear much fruit. Our fruitful productivity comes out of our rest in God. Over two decades ago, I remember seeing the first Lord of the Rings movie that came into theaters. Oh my goodness, if you're younger than able to have gone to see that at that time. You just don't understand what a phenomenon that was as people anticipated opening night. Tolkienites, Tolkien heads, the weird ones who always talk about Middle Earth and strange stories. They just talked about it all the time. I happen to live next door to one. His name was Charles. For six months leading up to the movie, Charles and I would be mowing lawns and talking on Saturday, and he'd say, you know, we're down to three months until the movie opens, and you're going to come with me on opening night. And I'd say, sure, Charles, sure, Charles. And then opening night came, and he bought me a ticket to go with him. Midnight showing on a Thursday night, known as also work night. But I went with Charles, and there in the, the movie, a line struck me that I did not know how deep it was going to go. It's a line where Bilbo the Hobbit is talking to Gandalf the wizard. And he turns to Gandalf at one point and says this. Why, I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean. Like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. I need a change or something. Now, that season of my life, I wasn't just tired because it was late. I was tired in mind and soul because I had had a two-year hectic pace working in a very toxic work environment. And that line pierced me. And my hunch is there are many of you who know what it feels like to feel thin, to feel like too little of you is being scraped across way too much of life's bread. 
and inside you say, this cannot be right. There's got to be a change or something. And God says to us, there is, and I built it into Genesis chapter two. There was a change or something. And it was called the seventh day, which he called holy, different, other, a change or something in which we work hard, but then we also rest well. And that's just Genesis, the first book of the Bible. If you go to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, you see God calling a people to himself and he wants them to begin to look like him and, and act like him. And he delivers this Jewish nation out of generations of Egyptian slavery and he leads them to freedom into the wilderness. They go to a mountain called Sinai and at Sinai, they're gonna get the law, which would be their new, their new way of living that would begin to look like God and act like God. And in the middle of that 10 commandments, new way of living, we see Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a stop to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that's in them, but he rested. He stopped on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it the other. He made it holy and set apart. See, God was saying, I want my people to look like me and act like me, and no surprise, that includes the same rhythm of Sabbath that he built in. And we call this verse the fourth commandment. I have never heard anybody call it the fourth good suggestion from a life coach. We don't even treat the other commands as though they're optional. No one has said, I kind of consider the do not murder thing optional. But we have no problem looking at take a one and seven rest and treating as though it's just good advice. Kind of like when my dentist says, you really should floss more. I treat it as helpful advice, but not necessarily life-changing practice. And yet God here commands rest. Now here's what's interesting. It's the only command of the 10 commands that begins with the word remember, as though we're prone to forget it. Which is so odd. You would think this would be the one we would gobble up fast. Why don't we? I think Warren Wearsby is on to something. Wearsby says uh, this about rest. He says, the ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless. The world around us is frantically in a hurry. But a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. And that is so true, isn't it? And so for the next 1,400 years in the life of Israel, they lived a reckless life, meaning they went from cycles of sin and obedience over and over and over. They would follow God somewhat and then break away, breaking his commandments, including the command to rest. And when they were finally reunited in the land after their exile, after their time in Babylon, they came back into their land in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders, the rabbis, got together and said, no more of that. We have got to ensure that the people keep God's commands, including the command to rest. So they said, how do we make sure that people do not work on the Sabbath? And they begin to list 
out that. And they said, well, we, people shouldn't carry a burden. In other words, a, a load on their back on a Sabbath day. And then they said, okay, well, what constitutes a burden? So the rabbis got together and tried to define that. By the time that Jesus Christ was born and lived among those Jewish people, this is why the way his culture defined a burden. Food equal in weight to a dried fig. Enough wine for mixing one goblet. Milk enough for one swallow. Don't carry honey enough to put, well, only carry honey enough to put on one wound. Oil enough to anoint one person. Water enough to moisten one eye salve. Paper enough to write one note. Ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet. Read enough to make one pen. On and on it goes for six pages of the Talmud. Just describing what a burden was so that you wouldn't accidentally work and break God's commandment. Men and women, by the time of Jesus, just defining what rest was would wear out your soul. And so Jesus, the master who only does what is good, only does what is right, steps in in Matthew chapter 11 and says, time out. If any of you is tired, worn out from carrying the burden of that kind of religion, Come to me, and I will give you rest. And he reorients rest in himself. No surprise that Jesus had plenty of conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes, the rabbis of his day, particularly over the Sabbath. One day he heals a man on the Sabbath early in his ministry. And in Mark chapter 2, we read, Jesus says to those Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here's what he's saying. The Sabbath is a gift for men and women. And I am the giver of that gift. Now let's be very, very, very clear what that means. That means that everything in the Old Testament, the law and the priestly system itself, it all points to Jesus Christ personally. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. All of the commands are wrapped up in him. And therefore, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have been freed from the religious duty of keeping a seventh-day Sabbath rest. We are no longer tied to a specific seventh day of rest because, according to Hebrews chapter 4, well, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. So we no longer are tied to having to obey the seventh day of Sabbath rest. However, we are foolish when we believe we no longer need a one in seven rhythm of rest. We are foolish when we no longer see the gift that God the giver has for us in rest. And vacation is not a replacement for that. Any young families who just got back from family vacation this summer and you shall say out loud, amen, you know it's not. I tell all of our young staff when they're heading out on vacation with their young kids, do not expect to go have rest. You'll make memories, but you will have no rest. Because vacation when your family is young, here's my definition. I remember turning to Lisa when we were like 28 years old and the children had covered us up. I said, honey, we're going on vacation. It will be inconvenient parenting in an expensive location. That's all vacation is. Harder work that you go in debt for. 
have a great time. But it was important. We made memories that our kids have for a lifetime. I wouldn't take it any other way. But we shouldn't be so foolish to think that vacation is the same. Which is why we come back and say phrases like, you know, I need a vacation from my vacation. And even the math doesn't work. Think about it. 14 days of annual vacation is supposed to equal 52 days a year of rest. Like, you don't have to be great at math to know something is a disconnect there. No, God built a rhythm in us that is a gift. So we may have been freed from the law of a specific day of rest, but we still need a rhythm of rest because I believe that busyness is draining the life out of God's people. And as the bride of Christ, the church just looks harried and haggard. Gordon Dahl, I think I was, I just recall Mickey bringing this quote to our attentions over a year or so ago, but it's worth bringing Gordon Dahl's quote up again. He says, most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. And as a result, their values are distorted, their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair, and their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. Men and women, you can write Bentonville, Arkansas all over that quote, because that is us. That's why God gave us the gift of Sabbath rest, a one in seven rhythm of rest where we can see God and see life and see ourselves a little bit better. Why does Sabbath help us see a little better? Just look at the why behind Sabbath. Oh, God in his wisdom. Number one, it's a reminder. Exodus 31, then the Lord God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. Here's our purpose clause. Here's our why, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. See, rest is a pause button that gets pushed and it reminds us that we are not at the center of life. We don't hold this whole thing together. God does. Now, I know sometimes we look at the ancient commands to the Israelites of Sabbath and we say, yeah, but Shotsman, it was easy for them. I mean, they lived in a slow-paced, agrarian uh, society. They had no smartphones buzzing in their pockets all the time. Nobody was reaching them after hours, giving them email. Of course they could pull this off. No, no, no. Don't over-romanticize the difficulty of their life either. Imagine you were a, a Jewish uh, farmer in ancient times, living under this command of Sabbath, embracing this, and your family was going to live off the grain of the harvest that you brought in for the entire year. And you're at about 80% of the harvest being finished. You just need a day or two, maybe three, to finish up that harvest and ensure that your family will have all they'll need for the whole year. But it's Friday afternoon, and sundown is happening, marking the beginning of Sabbath. And every part of you says, I just want to work through Sabbath to make sure this happens. I mean, they need me. And you have to pause and trust that God has you and has your family's needs as you take the 24-hour break from work, trusting that the rains and the hail won't wipe out the remainder of that harvest and that he has this. Folks, he is the Lord. And Sabbath is a, a courageous, humble act of obedience in every age for all of God's people. We turn to him because we, on the Sabbath because we need the reminder 
But we need more than just the reminder. We need a refresher as well, which is why the second reason of Sabbath is not just that it's a reminder that he is the Lord, our God, but it's that we, are, we need the refresher. Exodus 23 says, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, purpose clause, so that you may be refreshed. And I don't know about you, but I can't live well without constant reminders and constant refreshment from God. Without it, I start to look as distracted and frazzled as my neighbors. Maybe worse, because my schedule's filled with more church activities than theirs are. Sabbath causes me to refocus around refreshment and reminder. It's been said, and I think it's totally true, that the American culture can actually be summed up in two words. Ready for them? Hurry and worry. And I think it's dead on. Here's the interesting thing. Sabbath provides a reminder of who is God. He's at the center of life, and he's got this. That deals with worry. Sabbath is a refreshment that helps deal with hurry. Indeed, the Lord of the Sabbath has a gift for his people, and it is found in that one in seven sense of rest. The great thing about being free from the religious law of Sabbath keeping exactly on the seventh day, which for a Jewish mindset would have been the Saturday. I know Christians rephrase that to Sunday, but in a Jewish calendar, that would have been Saturday. We can be creative in how we Sabbath. Some of you work weekends, and that's not going to be possible to rest on a Saturday and Sunday. Some are going to have to figure out for a season in life how to take two half days. You're going to have to do something to build in some rest. I know a family here at church who takes between Saturday evening and Sunday evening. So on Saturday about dinner time, after they've had a day of everything from getting the week's groceries and too many kids' activities and chores, they start to slow it down Saturday evening. They do Sunday morning church and serving here together. They always eat together, sometimes with other people who are very refreshing to them. They keep a very slow pace through Sunday day. They eat a dinner together that's pretty low maintenance, you know, pancakes or even cereal. And uh, it's just a quiet day. And then after dinner, hey, most of us know that Monday comes on Sunday night. They're kind of cranking it back up and preparing for the week. But the point is they found something that works for them and we can do the same. There's a lot of flexibility, but the non-negotiable for those of us who want to be emotionally and spiritually and relationally healthy is that we're going to practice a one in seven day of rest. And I need to give you a warning. If you choose to embrace this, be prepared to be even more weird than you already are. If you have people in your life who already think you're weird, Oh, way more will think you're weird if you start practicing a one and seven day rest. They're going to ask what's wrong with you because you don't look as worn out as them. Something must be wrong with you. You're going to have to be prepared to actually disappoint some people that you love as you choose this better and say no to the good. Some of the people that you love that you're going to have to disappoint might even be your own children. Because let's shoot straight, kids' activities have to be the number one killer of any day of rest. I do not believe in the doctrine of purgatory. It's nowhere found in the Bible, but if I could bring myself to believe it, I think it's only reserved for whoever it is that can, uh, invented children's travel sports. That would be worthy for that person. 
But here's the deal. We say we do all those things because of our kids' benefit. And yet, guess which other humans in your household also are struggling with worry and hurry? Your kids. Lisa and I have the privilege of taking one week every summer for the last 20 summers of teaching at a large Christian uh, camp that has about 11 camps throughout the south, southern part of the U.S., and they uh, interview 10,000 of the brightest Christian college students every year, and then they hire 2,400 of those college students. About five or six years ago, they started including this question on their interview form. And the question is this, what is the one thing you wish that your parents had done differently in raising you in a Christian home? Any Christian parents like, like you got me now, I want to hear what is the one thing you wish your Christian parents had done differently? The top answer for the last five years, we wish we weren't so busy. Number two behind that, we wish we had more family time at home. Intriguingly, one of the directors of the camp was sharing with Lisa and I, we found an increasing number of anxiety issues among our, our college staff. And I can't help but believe that is tied to the hurry and worry that Sabbath is as a gift as well to kids. Psalm 92 is the only psalm in the Psalter that is written specifically for the Sabbath. And I think it gives us some insight on how we can Sabbath. And this is where we'll land this morning. Psalm 92 begins by saying it's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And then the song first lyric is this. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. And you see two main activities that are happening during this day of rest. One of them is some kind of response of prayer, or pray, and the other one is a response of play. Where do you see play? That phrase, to make music in your name, in the New Jerusalem Bible, it's actually translated um, uh, to make music in your name or to play according to your honor. And that makes sense because in order for them to make music, they had to play an instrument. But there was this sense that healthy rhythm of Sabbath included leisure that refreshed us, play. But it also included reflection that focused us and reminded us on God's goodness. Prayer. Reflect and recreate, or play and pray. Both are essential. And notice that it goes from morning to night, telling us that we need a whole day of this rather than a quick moment. Eugene Peterson, who's now gone home to be with the Lord, is probably my role model as a pastor personally. And uh, I don't know him, didn't know him personally, but through his writings, my role model. And he wrote this about Sabbath. He said that uh, Puritan Sabbaths that eliminated play were a disaster. Secular Sabbaths that eliminate prayer are worse. And you've seen that where you don't feel as refreshed. If, if Sabbath is all about just hard, hard, hard play, you're exhausted after it's over. But if it's all about just serious reflection, there's just take something of the joy out of that. And you'll have to figure out how to put some kind of mixture of pray and play into that day. Some reflection and some recreation. Uh, some of us tend to, because I tend to do a certain kind of work that isn't with my hands, I play best by doing something physically active. 
or even digging in the dirt and doing some gardening or yard work or something. Some of you would say, not me, not me. I need quiet in a book. You know what begins to refuel and refresh you. But even then, it needs to be combined with some sense of reflection. See, for most of my adult life, I bought into the myth that rest was a luxury you did only after your work was finished. A high sense of responsibility is always woven through my family. When you have a large family and a busy job, is the work ever finished? And by age 39, I was teetering on burnout, way too young. And so 20 years ago, I decided I'm going to start taking God seriously on this. And I started building in a one one in seven rest. Even we started changing the sayings in our homes. Our kids will tell you that somewhere in there, dad switched and he started saying, yeah, we work hard, but we rest well. Work hard, rest well. And we started buying in and relationships started feeling different. We started recovering our soul. Some seasons of life steal away Sabbath time more readily. Be candid, we just came through a two-year season of that. Both the launch of Fellowship Bentonville and the two years of helping my parents finish life and, and die with dignity, it, it stole away those days. And with my mom's home going in May, something has started coming back. And we're grateful for the gift. We do not serve a God with a cracking whip and a tax master. He says, I've given you a commission. Work hard. And I've given you a rhythm. Rest well. Now, here's the deal. Every adult in this room is going to have to figure out how to work that out. If you're married, you're going to have to do that in conjunction with your spouse. If you're ready for a good, enjoyable, and possibly spicy homework this week, have that conversation. Most of us ignore it by just saying it's not possible. Let's continue to live like Bilbo Baggins, hoping something will change. Uh Uh-uh. This is the change if we embrace the rhythm. So the conversation begins this week. There's a good opportunity, huh? Hey, would you stand? I thought maybe one of the best ways to finish this service would simply be by us reading some of the lines of that Sabbath song from Psalm 92 together. We'll we'll pull it up here. Read this aloud with me. It is fitting to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Sovereign One. It is fitting to proclaim your loyal love in the morning and your faithfulness during the night. For you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. I will sing for joy because of what you have done. How great are your works, O Lord. Your plans are very intricate. The spiritually insensitive do not recognize this. The fool does not understand this. But the godly will grow like a palm tree. Planted in the Lord's house, they grow in the courts of our God. They bear fruit even when they're old. They are filled with vitality and have many leaves. So they proclaim that the Lord, my protector, is just and unfair. And God's people say, amen. Fellowship, we love you. And if you would like to connect with uh, 
Bobby and Beth uh, Stottle before they head out to the other side of the world, and there's our global workers. They will meet you in the Fellowship Bentonville Elementary West Theater, basically out this way and as far down to the end of the hall as you can get. They head back overseas this week and have a lunch there for those who would like to join them uh, to uh, hug their neck and to uh, hear from them. But for all of us, we would love to connect with you. If you're brand new to Fellowship Bentonville, our desire is to simply say hello and to find ways to help you well, see that this become a restful, fruitful community of faith for you. Our community team is in the, uh, the booth over across the hallway, across the foyer. But then Judy and uh, Phil particularly are here as our prayer team representatives. They're in front of the baptistry and would love to pray over you and with you. That would be our joy if we could offer that kind of rest as well. I know you'll be working hard this week. Rest well too. We'll see you next week.